Welcome to the SPE Podcast, powered by the Society of Petroleum Engineers. You're listening to SPE Live, Energy Influencers View, growth of reservoir engineering for CCS and hydrogen storage. The audio from this episode was previously recorded on September 27th, 2023. And now your moderator, Manny Bunsall. Welcome to this SPE Live, Energy Influencers View, growth of reservoir engineering for CCS and hydrogen storage. My name is Manny Bunsall, lead quantum creator for Next in Energy and SPE The Way Ahead and the session chairperson for SPE ETP committee for ATC 2022. I hold six years of experience as a reservoir engineer, and I'm currently working as a tech specialist RE at Shell India. It is indeed a pleasure for me to be your moderator today. Today's SPE Live will last 30 minutes. We encourage you to ask questions throughout the event, which will be taken up by our influencers towards the end of our session. We are excited to host three 2023 energy influencers selected by the way ahead for outstanding technical, entrepreneurial, and service contributions by young professionals. It is now my pleasure to introduce our guest, Abhijit Saboyan. Abhijit Saboyan is the Environomics Lead Sustainability Specialist at Digital Energy, where he holds a distinguished record of contributions in emission reduction, sustainable strategies, and process optimization. Abhijit holds a master's degree in petroleum engineering from Khalifa University and a BE in petroleum engineering from Savitribai Phule Pune University, currently MIT WPU. Currently, Abhijit is co-creating a platform using advanced digital technologies to establish a closed-loop recycling system from steel for decommissioned offshore assets. Next, we have is Choja Ojanambre, a reservoir engineer at the Nigerian Egypt Oil Company, NAOC specializing in reservoir simulation, estimations and forecasting, production optimization, and data analytics. Choja holds a bachelor's in mechanical engineering from the University of Fort Hatzkart, Nigeria, a master's in advanced mechanical engineering from Cranfield University, UK, and a master's in petroleum engineering from Politecnico di Torino, Italy, and indeed an MBA from the University of Fort Hatzkart Business School. We also have Ogun Ray Ogolo, is a senior staff training at the Petroleum Training Institute and was formerly a lecturer in the Department of Petroleum and Gas Engineering, Nile University of Nigeria. He has two patents in drilling engineering and three copyrights in petroleum economics and is responsible for developing a novel method for to improve the rheological properties of low swelling bentonite clay. He holds a bachelor's in petroleum engineering from the University of Benin and a master's in petroleum engineering from the African University of Science and Technology. Ogendrume Choja Abhijit, welcome to the SPE Live. The energy sector faces a serious challenge to reduce the greenhouse emissions required by both producers and consumers of energy. The journey for this transformation will be significantly aided by the advancements in technology such as batteries, hydrogen, carbon capture, and modern bioenergy, along with rapidly falling renewable energy prices. Let's begin our conversation and explore the different phases of this area. Starting off with you, Abhijit, as my first question is uh, related to your experience working towards advancement of digital tech for decommissioned assets in the offshore. So Abhijit, how do you think that the advancement in technology will aid the energy industry? to accelerate its journey towards CCUS or even hydrogen? Over to you, Abhijit. 
That is an excellent question to get us started, Mani. So thank you for that. So I personally believe that the rapid advancement of technology is truly reshaping our energy landscape. Now, specifically for CCUS, we are seeing innovations like AI-powered monitoring systems, advanced membrane technologies um, that are enhancing uh, capture efficiencies. Now, these technologies don't just improve current methods, they potentially lower costs and make CCUS more scalable. And for me, this is huge. Now, as for hydrogen, there are breakthroughs in electrolysis and storage solutions that are accelerating with adoption. Now, with the emerging of digitalization and renewable energy sources, we are also able to produce green hydrogen more efficiently. So ultimately, I believe that as technology continues to advance, the barriers for both CCUS and hydrogen can be significantly reduced, and this can pave the way forward for more widespread uh, adoption. Now, I'd also like to add that in the context of offshore decommissioned assets, digital technology has become a game changer. So with things like digital twin technologies, data analytics, artificial intelligence and automation that are revolutionizing um, the landscape right now, uh, handling of such assets has become much, much more simpler because these tools um, not only facilitate efficient, safe, and cost-effective assessment, they can also help you manage um, these assets through tracking, tracking and tracing, which uh, paves the way for a viable repurposing solution. That is what the energy industry is also looking for. And this can scale across multiple operations across the entire energy chain. Hence, the integration of these uh, digital technologies, I feel, is crucial for enhancing sustainability, for reducing our emissions, and then uh, presenting a promising pathway for our future. Great. Thanks, Thanks Abhijit. Uh, I totally agree with you that uh, sustainability and technology should go hand in hand, and definitely we see a lot of improvements there. So, uh, my next question is to you, Ogen Rume. Uh, what changes and additional resources uh, you think should the academia bring in the uh, reservoir engineering courses to attract the bright future uh, to prepare them for projects related to CCUS and hydrogen? Over to you. Okay, uh, thank you, Mani, for the for the question. Well, uh, for uh, reservoir engineering curriculum. Uh, as a result of the um, emergence of CCS technology, uh, I think that the reservoir engineering curriculum need to be redesigned uh, to to cover such concepts because today we're talking about carbon capture and one of the, the ways we can use to achieve that is also by looking at storage sites where this uh, carbon after being captured can be stored. And there's no way you want to store uh, carbon without you looking at the possibilities of storing this carbon in um, in reservoirs, either depleted hydrocarbon reservoirs or saline aquifer. So uh, reservoir engineering uh, courses or programs need to be redesigned to look at, to, to contain more studies of these uh, depleted reservoirs on how they could be used as storage sites for uh, CO2 and also storage site for for hydrogen as well. Then why I I really find this question very interesting because I know that for for most uh, reservoir engineering program, the emphasis most times is on the oil reservoir, is on the gas reservoir. So that's where most studies have been done. But with the advent of uh, CCS. Uh, 
technology and the advent of the need that we need to store uh, CO2 in, uh, in reservoirs. That would uh, make it possible now for us to redesign um, reservoir engineering curriculum to be able to capture uh, more information about the, the, the aquifer. Then I also said that uh, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, that's my comment, uh, my comment for that. Then also to, to I also suggest that for um, petroleum engineering program in general, there's they need to redesign them to capture this, uh, these new technologies that we are looking at. Because for many petroleum engineering school, you still go there, all you find is the, the conventional petroleum engineering knowledge. That's where, where I was working uh, before at Nile University of Nigeria. When we looked at some of these things, we had to introduce a course which we termed special topics. So in that course, we tried to bring our students to the limelight of this uh, of the limelight of the industries uh, which we are talking about now. And luckily, I was the one uh, taking the course. And sometimes after the course, I see how excited, how knowledgeable, and how skillful my students were. And I appreciate that the need for us to really add that course as part of our program. So thank you. Great, great. Thanks, thanks, Ogun Rume. So I, I completely agree with your point, as you said that it's that's a, a pressing need for the the revamping of the curriculum, uh, specifically to incorporate these technologies and uh, amalgamate them along with the curricula so that the, the young people can learn a lot from them. So uh, moving on next to Choja, uh, this question for you is, so we know that PCUS is recognized as a necessary and a relatively low risk piece of the decarbonization puzzle to meet the net zero emission targets and startups are playing a critical role in driving innovation and commercialization of PCUS technologies. But uh, what I see is that the technology is not moving fast enough to achieve a 1.5 degree or even 2 degree digital pathway. So, Choja, can you share some reflections on the, the current status in Nigeria uh, at your end? So, over to you. All right. Uh, thank you very uh, much, Mani, for that question. Um, first of all, I would want to agree with you that uh, globally, uh, CCUS and uh, other technologies, they are not progressing at the pace that most uh, climate enthusiasts the world over would have loved to see it move, okay? Uh, because just uh, if you take a quick look at the IEA's uh, World Energy Outlook, you see that there's a huge gap as in the delta between uh, global ambition and implementation. That's considering that there are differences in the different uh, scenarios, as I mean, um, the stated policy scenarios, uh, the announced pledges scenarios, and then net zero, as in where we want to be by 2050 at about, uh, I say, 1.5 degrees below, uh, behind, uh, sorry, beyond the pre-industrial uh, temperatures. So coming to Nigeria, just uh, like you have rightly asked, uh, the contributions of startups they have to be understood by considering uh, the specific social, economic, and developmental context of the country, okay? That's within the region where we find ourselves. So there's actually a huge potential for CCUS here, uh, no doubt. But so far, uh, the focus has uh, been on harnessing a cleaner source of fuel, as in which is natural gas, uh, for which Nigeria has an abundance. In fact, the government has declared uh, this decade to be the decade of gas. So that has been a mantra in the industry uh, currently. And uh, thus, I would say that would explain why there 
uh, is the absence of a complete or comprehensive uh, legal framework for uh, CCUS technologies. And hence, why we have a handful of startups that would want to enter this space without these uh, frameworks in place and the government supporting these frameworks, most of them have challenges here with accessing capital, you know, to fund their ideas because uh, CCUS is a capital intensive venture. So what I would say is that the focus for most of the majority of startups here in Nigeria is on the renewables themselves, such as uh, PV that's uh, and solar. And uh, I, would, I would be expecting to see as a change in this in the near future, because from my recent interactions with some of the regulators, we see that there's a growing interest here on the CCUS uh, stage, and that they, are even, they are even talks to set up a pilot system. So that is where we are currently uh, around my, my region. Thank you, Manu. Great, great. Thanks, thanks, Chuja. Uh, it's, it's good to see that there's a, a bit of improvement there in terms of the startup culture, specifically related to CCUS in Nigeria. So good to see that. And I also see the similar footprint happening globally across where a lot of funding have been supported by the government and different institutions when it comes to the startup or, uh, related to the uh, CCUS and indeed hydrogen as well. So uh, this is for the audience, please. Make sure you uh, submit your questions in the comment tab and the chat box. We are continuing further with the discussion, but please make sure that you, uh, for your questions to be answered, it's important that it's pasted in the comment box as well. So uh, coming again to you, Choja, uh, so what, what do you think uh, is, is the uh, oil and gas industry looking wide enough for avenues to capture the carbon or uh, their, their focus is still on inducting the technology that doesn't really impact their cash flows? So any viewpoint uh, for you, Chocha, and then I'll move on to the others as well uh, to share their opinion. So over to you, Chocha. All right. Yeah. Thank, thank. All right. Thank you, Manny. Uh, I would say yes. Yeah. I would say yes that uh, because the evidence abounds that there's been an increased spending on CCUS. Okay. Uh, we see companies are committing billions of dollars into projects over the next uh, five years. Okay. Uh, we've also seen increased spending on uh, R and D. Yeah, by most of the industry players. And there have been uh, a lot of synergies or collaborations here yeah, between uh, the industry and then the academia or res other research institutions. Uh, we're also seeing uh, increased uh, diverse approaches, okay, such as uh, the uh, adoption of newer technologies like the direct air capture as you know, CO2 uh, from ambient air. We, uh, we see uh, the um, bioenergy CCS projects that are coming up. And of course, yeah, there's also increased um, use of uh, blue hydrogen, I mean, blue hydrogen production. So yet, with the world's energy demands yeah, at their highest levels, I think the industry would need to continue meeting today's challenges yeah, with the eyes on tomorrow. That is to say they have to strike, companies have to strike a balance, okay, by meeting demands in such a way that they will still be around tomorrow, okay, to address uh, tomorrow's challenges. So uh, to me, I think it's not just lip, lip service here yeah, from the companies because the industry is following its word, matching it with action, they are putting money on the table. However, we need to still see market commitments from governments here yeah, the world over and uh, like i had mentioned earlier there's still a huge uh, delta between okay that's the ambition as in where we want to be and where we currently are so we need to see much of a uh, sorry much of alignment by uh, having policies that are in place and that are being matched uh, by action both from the industry and then from uh, the government side of things thank you i i second you choja on that so uh uh, others, please feel to chime in. Abhijit or Ogan Rume, what, what, what's your take on this? Uh, what do you think? Uh, where, where are we in the technology induction? So? 
So I do personally believe as somebody who's uh, been in the sustainability space that um, sustainability also goes hand in hand with economic viability, right? So what I mean by that is a lot of times and a lot of the technology that you're seeing eventually becomes a necessity. And I feel that the public, the private sector, including academia, are collaborating like never before um, in the current zone that we're in. So when it comes to the wider focus of, you know, let's say technology induction or carbon capture, we've seen um, these energy companies uh, investing significantly and that there has been a lot of technological advancements that has will become a game changer eventually. So that's just my two comments there. Uh, my colleague had already given a very good, solid response. And uh, we, I will circle back to this uh, later on when the audience comes in as well. Hey, thanks, thanks, Abhijit. Uh, Ogintrume, you, you have any points to add to Abhijit's comments? Yeah, yeah. Just to uh, contribute uh, to that, because the, the industry is really uh, making lots of efforts to see how we can capture carbon, uh, use it or store it. Um, also, because even most of the times you want to go to the bank to get you money or to borrow you money to fund the uh, fossil fuel projects. Most of the times the banks require you, to, they want to also see your plans on how you will be able to reduce the emission of CO2. So most cases, they want to see your ESG component as part of your, as part of your investment plan. So the industry is really looking deeply on uh, CCS technologies and also the use of uh, other alternative uh, forms of uh, energy. So this is just what I want to add uh, to the response that, um, that has been given thus far. Great, great. Great, Ogun Rume. So aptly pointed, I, I see there's a drastic change that has happened from, I, I believe, from the point when I really started in this industry. And what I see now, there's, there's been a huge investment in the technology induction and, and the companies are really focusing on, on that direction. So uh, moving on next to, uh, to you uh, for the next question, let's, let's shift gears now to talk about the, the fuel of the future, which is hydrogen. And uh, what potential uh, do you think hydrogen holds to meet the net zero emission goals? What is happening in the space around you? So I'll start off with you, Abhijit, and then the others can feel free to chime in. So uh, over to you, Abhijit. Another excellent question, Mani. Thank you for that. So personally, I believe hydrogen has tremendous potential, um, especially as a clean energy resource. Um, now, for me, the beauty of it is that it can be produced from various sources. It can be stored and transported over long distances, and then you can consume it for various applications, all the way from power generation to transportation. And the the only byproduct that we have is nothing but water. So as we transition or as we go ahead in this path for net zero, hydrogen to me can be a game changer. And especially in sectors that are difficult to decarbonize just by electrification alone. So in my region, I'm witnessing a huge surge of investments and talks, especially about hydrogen. There's been several pilot projects, especially related to green hydrogen production, fuel cell vehicles globally, and uh, especially in the Middle East. And as mentioned in my earlier response, if I'm looking at academia, the public sector, the private sector, there's a lot of collaboration happening for, let's say, emission-friendly 
fuels, uh, especially hydrogen, right? So in line with the responses of everyone here, I believe that we are at an exciting time. And I also believe that we are on the cusp of a cleaner energy revolution that's going to happen in the coming decade, if not in the coming years. Great, great, excellent, Abhijit. Uh, that's good to do, see that. Uh, so, Chocha, any, any insights from Nigeria you would like to add uh, in terms of, do you see there's a potential in Nigeria about hydrogen uh, and the same? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I also agree, you know, that hydrogen, most especially uh, green hydrogen, it holds a uh, huge potential, okay, for meeting net zero uh, emissions. One, hydrogen is in abundance. I think it's about the most abundant uh, elements, making up about 95% here of the, uh, 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 the elements here we can find around us. And uh, it is adaptable across multiple sectors. You see, if it is uh, safely applied, to the biggest emitting sectors of the global economy. And by that, I mean uh, the uh, electricity generation and then the transportation sectors. Then I believe we should be able to accelerate the journey to net zero by uh, 2050. Because if we look at it this way, I'll give an analogy that for every unit of hydrogen that is being applied okay, to meet the energy demand here, either within my country, Nigeria, or anywhere else in the globe, there's a corresponding proportion of greenhouse gases okay, that's been prevented from entering the ecosystem. So that is it. If we have this in abundance, and if we if we uh, if we have this in abundance, and uh, we utilize this, then we should be expecting to have a proportionate amount of reduction of GHGs. And also, I want to say there have been significant advances in, in the extraction techniques, and this is something that is driving down the production costs. And we make hydrogen here yeah, as a very viable fuel and democratize its use as in across uh, the globe. Thank you. Okay, thanks, thanks, Choja. So I can't gain say from what you said. Uh, indeed, hydrogen is acting as an alternative fuel and to, to reduce the emission uh, puzzle and also solve that climate puzzle that we have. So, uh, Ogin Rume, you would like to add anything uh, to 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 say? Yeah. So, what uh, for my end, I would just say that uh, hydrogen is a fuel both of the now and of the future, and is something that. Um, when used, would be able would enable us to be able to meet up with uh, most uh, nations' um, energy transition plan. Of recent, we had an interview with the interview session with the uh, African Center for Energy, and as part of what we we propose that for African nations to be able to meet up with their energy transition plans. They, they have to we have to look at uh, means of um, incorporating hydrogen fuel as part of our energy transition plan and with that would be able to see that uh, we have because um, let me say close to zero net um, emission of co2 so but the despite the the importance or the the the, the importance of uh, hydrogen fuel, uh, so I feel that there's also need for more research to see how we can be able to reduce the costs to produce hydrogen because the, the, the challenge with hydrogen fuel is the cost. So I, I suggest that uh, we also need to look at ways where the cost of producing hydrogen needs to be reduced. Once it's reduced, that will give more, more potential to the use of um, hydrogen fuel and would enable... Uh, easy and um, um, friendly acceptance of it, even amongst uh, most nations of the world. 
So this is just my my response to the question. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Dr. Ramesh. So yeah, I, I completely agree where you said there's there's this cost component which is attached to both CPUs and hydrogen, and uh, as we've been discussing, there's there's been a huge investment that is still needed. And uh, we we see that that growth trajectory for investment is going in the right direction. So uh, we'll just end up with one last question, and then we open the floor for uh, the the audience Q and A. So uh, can you share how SPE and petroleum engineering degree has helped you contribute towards sustainability and net zero emissions? So uh, anybody would like to start, and uh, maybe Ogun Rumi, you would like to start, and then we we move on to the others. Okay. Okay. Well, for me, I think uh, SP has done uh, a whole lot uh, when it comes to uh, CCS technology, hydrogen as uh, the fuel of the now and of the future, renewable. Because first, SP gives us that awareness, the platform for us to know what is happening in the industry. Like I always tell my students that if you don't attend SP meetings, you may not know what's going on in the industry because what we teach you is the conventional, will give you the conventional knowledge. But when you go to uh, SPE meetings, you read papers, conferences and events, you get to know and see what is going on in the industry. And I must also commend um, SPE because if you look at, just as we have the, the petroleum resource management system, we also have it for, for, for storage sites where I can classify my storage site as either it has improved capacity. Is, is it probable or is it possible? And when I saw that document, I was really, I was marveled. And I, I, in my mind, I applauded SPE SP for that because the world is thinking of transiting from, from fossil fuel and uh, SPE has done a lot in that space to so see how the world can, can really transit away from fossil fuel. Then again, to the second part of the question, my petroleum engineering knowledge has really helped me a whole lot when it comes to the use of uh, CCS technologies and also um, um, maternity forms of energy. Why I say so is that because for uh, for some research work that I've done, I had a master's student that uh, looked at how we can inject CO2 into uh, a depleted uh, reservoir. So if I don't have petroleum engineering knowledge, I don't think I'll be able to really supervise uh, such a project. And I've had students worked on several um, projects that also do with uh, alternative forms of energy. And to say, as of now, we're also looking at the, the potential of using um, hydrogen fuel in Nigeria. So I had a master student that did um, a research work on that. So if I don't have a petroleum engineering knowledge, first, I will not have the, the capacity to be able to supervise such research, and I will not even have the the, the mindset to be able to, to do such such. And like I always tell my students is that you study petroleum engineering doesn't mean you cannot venture into any space because petroleum engineering gives you a lot of knowledge that all you need to do is to apply your petroleum engineering knowledge, and that is what that is what even make me to be more uh, more um, proficient when it comes to petroleum great, economics. Great, great, great. I get, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I completely agree. I'll just, I'll just uh, kick off this question directly to Abhijit. Maybe uh, 20 seconds more, we want to take some questions from the Q&A. So uh, what do you think, Abhijit? Has petroleum engineering helped you to achieve that sustainability factor? And then we move to Choja, please. Uh, 
Yes, please. So I'll keep it short. So I've been an active member of SP since 2011, and SP, the and Petroleum Engineering Foundations, has been instrumental uh, instrumental in my journey. Even though I began my journey as a core petroleum engineer, um, I did dive deep into production optimization and hydraulic fracturing, which is where I found my love for sustainability. So as uh, my colleague just mentioned, it's one of the only areas where you have this marriage of opportunities where you can work on multifaceted projects that um, which involves all the way from machine learning, analytics, technology, uh, and all the way up to the things that you're truly passionate and uh, care about, right? And just to add on, like the networking opportunities that SP provides, the platforms that we have, those have guided, uh, you know, my core uh, values in shaping some of the solutions that we've been building over time. So thanks, 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 Abhijit, yeah. for that. Yeah. So uh, we have this one question uh, coming from Kezia Chinian. Uh, Chosha, maybe you can take this up. How the oil and gas industries and support companies plan to sustain the skilled workforce and capital financing? So, so that, uh, we just have one more minute left. Maybe you can tap this up quickly. Oh. Uh, all right. Okay. So since we have just one minute, I would uh, take that quickly. Okay. So uh, there's a lot uh, which the oil and gas companies here can do or which they are doing. And one of them is uh, rescaling. Okay. That's uh, they have to invest as in training programs to help their existing employees to adapt okay, to new technologies and methods such as uh, the CCUS, which we are discussing. There are also the partnerships uh, with the academia where they can collaborate with uh, the uh, universities and other technical institutes to ensure that there's a steady supply of talents that are trained in the latest technologies. So these are just uh, as in a few as in of these ways, uh, which I think the, comp the uh, oil and gas thanks. industry thanks. can support companies thanks, to sustain okay. the yeah, workforce. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. So I'd like to thank all of you uh, for joining the session, uh, all the virtual attendees and indeed the SP live team. This is Mani Bantul signing off. See you all next time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the SPE Live podcast. For more content, visit the SPE Energy Stream, the industry's digital pulse at streaming.spe.org. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and review. Join us next time on the SPE Live podcast. 